1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39, when the people of God, the nation of Israel, when they watched God send down fire from heaven and it consumed all the sacrifice, licked up the dust in the face of the prophets of Baal, all the people said this, the Lord, he is the God. And they didn't just say it once. You go look at it. They said it twice. The Lord, he is the God. Can you say that with me? The Lord, he is the God. Say it again. The Lord, the Lord he, he is, is the, the God. God. Amen. We started last week in a series called The God Series. And if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, go with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. After we have concluded... Just leave your Bibles open there. Leave your electronic device open there. Look at verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. He came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked... Behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I'm going to ask you to stretch your hand this direction. God helped me last week through your prayers, and I need him to touch me again today, that he would touch me spiritually, physically, mentally. Just pray with me today. Father, we just come before you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the word of the living God. We've already been ushered into your presence in worship, in praise and adoration. And I believe today that you have something significant that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, I'm just asking you to touch this vessel with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, anoint my physical body, anoint my mental faculties most of all, anoint me spiritually to be able to communicate the Word of God as you have directed. We give you praise and glory and honor for these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. With the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you today about encountering God. Last week, we began our new year by talking about the importance of knowing God. 
God's greatest desire for each and every one of us is to know him for who he is and not just for what he can do for you. We asked three probing questions in the message last week. We asked, are you seeking his hand or are you seeking his heart? We also asked the question, are you trying to know God through God's friends? God has many friends that promote God, but are you trying to know God simply through God's friends and not directly for yourself? Then the third question we asked you it was this, do you really understand that just because you're used by God, that it does not mean that you have a personal relationship with God? God uses evil people for his purposes who do not know him personally. Now, folks, we are, according to Genesis 1.27, we are created in the image of God. We are his, his highest crown of creation. We are his most precious treasure on this great and vast earth. We're made in his image, but we have to develop his character. We have to develop his personality and his heart. And to do that, you have to spend time alone with him to, for these things to begin to develop in, in your life. We mentioned last week, Paul cried out. And he had seen many miracles from the hand of the Lord. I don't know if anybody saw any more miracles than Paul did in the New Testament, maybe outside of the disciples. But after all that he had seen God do for him, he said, oh, that I may, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. In the book of Daniel, it tells us that they that know their God shall do great exploits, not have a knowledge about but truly know God for who He is. Today I want to talk about the strategic times in our lives when we have divine encounters with God. Those moments, and they're not frequent, they can be very infrequent, but when God just kind of drops supernatural experiences, and, and they're kind of like suddenlies, they just show up, we weren't expecting them. But when they do come, they change our life. They change our perspective. And they happen on very average, ordinary days. For some, it may be a dream. For others, it could be a vision. It may be a miracle that takes place. that you're just, You just know that you know that you know it was not coincidental. It was the hand of the Lord. It could be a divine interruption. It could be the bestowing of a special gift. It could easily be an angelic visitation. Hebrews talks about that we uh, often entertain angels and we're not even aware that we're doing it. Whatever it is, I am hungry for a divine encounter with God. I'm hungry for God to interrupt my life, to interrupt my status quo, to, to shatter my everyday routine. You look at the background in the story in front of us that we've read some verses from. We see that Abraham's descendants, they have been in captivity for quite some time, the Jewish people. 
They've now been in Egypt 400 years. And in the beginning, they were treated fine until they outgrew the number of people in the host nation of Egypt. And as time wore along and the amount of Jews began to outnumber the Egyptians, a paranoid Egyptian ruler began to enslave the Jewish people. Moses, who was divinely called by God, he was spared by God as an infant. And he was literally brought into Pharaoh's palace and was raised there by his own Jewish mother, whose name was Jochebed. And as I read this, and it often comes to me, it, it, I'm reminded that, that when you read the story of Moses, you read that he's put a, a, a Jew, as he is, he's put in Egypt, but you couldn't get the Jewish out of his spirit. You couldn't get it out of his makeup. You couldn't get it out of his DNA. And, and you know, he, he's right there in the middle of all kinds of Egyptian influences and idol worship, and, and yet he was, he was true. He was raised by his Jewish mother to be true only to Jehovah God. And let me, just, let me just sidetrack for a moment this morning and tell you that this world is very much, very much like Egypt. This world uh, uh, is, is full of corruption and sin and, and debauchery, and everywhere you turn, there's, there's, there's just sin that's rampant. And, and yet God has called us to live in this world. And yet we can read in Exodus chapter 3 and even the verses prior to it that Moses proves by his example that you can overcome the influence of the world. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When I read that this week, I was also taken to John chapter 17 when Jesus prayed the great intercessor prayer. And he said, Father, I pray that you not take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil of the world. You can be in this world, but not be of this world. You can live in this world and yet not be influenced by this world. So at 40 years old, we find that uh, Moses is now keeping his father-in-law's flock. In fact, he would keep his father-in-law's flock for an additional 40 years. He is chased into the wilderness because of an act of carnality, because of an act of sin on his own part. He runs for his life, and he ends up keeping sheep on the backside of the Midian Desert for 40 long years. I did the math on that this week, day after day. For 480 months, uh, uh, for 2,080 weeks, he kept sheep uh, on the backside of the desert. For 14,600 days, uh, he kept the sheep. For 350,400 hours, hour after hour after hour, he watched uh, over these four-legged creatures, the mundane, the routine, the backside of the desert. Little did he know that God was preparing him for in those 40 years with four-legged creatures because he would one day lead some two-legged creatures. And then one day, one day, just an ordinary day, he saw God at work. And that's the first thing I want to tell you today, and I say it often, but you need to be reminded often, and that is that God is always at work on your behalf. In John chapter 5 and verse 17, we read the words of Jesus in the NIV. 
NIV, it says it like this. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In the New Living Translation, Jesus says it like this. My father is always working, and so am I. I like what the message says. It says my father is working straight through, even on the Sabbath, and so am I. Why do I bring that up? It's because every one of us is children of God. We need this reminder. We need it frequently that the Father and the Son are constantly working in the spirit realm and on some ordinary day their work and their presence will be manifested in the natural just like it was for Moses. This was a day that God was going to break a 40 year silence. There were no hints. There were no premonitions. There were no meteors that flew across the sky the night before. And let me tell you, this is how God works so profoundly in our lives. This is what he wants to do. He wants to drop some divine encounters on you that maybe you weren't expecting. Some divine interruptions. Chuck Swindoll wrote it like this. You may be catching a bus tomorrow or climbing into a big rig for a 900-mile stretch of monotonous highway. He said you may be facing a classroom full of students or lifting one baby out of a crib while another little one clings to your leg. It's just another ordinary day. But on that day, on that normal standard day, on God's divine calendar at 9.52 in the morning or 2.13 in the afternoon or 7.56 in the evening or 3.13 a.m. in the dark of the night, God says, I have chosen them. I've selected their address and I want to speak to them. I want to show up in their life. I mean when Moses went out that morning. Think about it. He, he, it was just another ordinary day. He didn't know he was going to have an encounter with God like he did. And can I tell you, I believe this today. Any normal day, God is going to break through your natural realm from the supernatural and is going to turn your life upside down and you will never be the same again and I say, Lord, for me, may it happen today in the house of God. For 40 years, Moses knew nothing but normal and boring and routine and mediocre. But this encounter, he would never be the same. Well, pastor, what did he see? What happened to him that changed him so radically? I'll tell you what happened to him. He saw two things. He saw a flame of fire out of a bush, and the bush burned, but it wouldn't burn up. Now, that's important. For 40 years, Brother Gene, he would, no doubt because of the heat, he probably saw many bushes that would burn until they burned completely up. But this was a bush that kept on burning and would not burn up. Up. It was a perpetual and continuous and move of God. So you indulge me for a moment. We'll call it my prediction. And by the grace of God, I pray that it will be prophetic. I believe by the
the word of the Lord, God is moving in these last days. I believe an end time revival is going to take place globally and nationally and locally. And I declare by faith right here in this local church and in this community. I believe among a remnant of folks in this body, there is a perpetual and continuous fire of God that is burning. And while today we may consider it to be flickering low, I'm here to declare it's still burning. It's still continuous. And it is not a fire that's going to die, but I proclaim it to be a fire that's going to continue to gain spiritual oxygen that's going to begin to rise up. The inferno's going to burn higher. It's going to burn broader. And it's going to reach out from this body to touch other people. I'm not interested in people coming to see the decor of this building near as much as I am people coming to experience the continuous and perpetual fire of Almighty God burning among His people. Is there anybody else in the house today? You're tired of the mediocre. You're tired of the mundane. You're tired of the routine. You're ready for a divine interruption and encounter with Almighty God that will not only change you, but will change others you can be contact with. I wish somebody would give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. I proclaim a fire to fall from prayers upon our sacrificial worship. I proclaim a fire to fall as the Holy Spirit moves upon different hearts as they yield completely to the Lord. I proclaim a fire that is perpetual and continuous. A fire that does not go out on the altars of the Lord. Yes, some come, and yes, some go. But even through adversity and loss, God is still at work. There are people in this room, you're new to the journey, and we're glad you're here. And there's others that are no longer traveling the journey, and we bid them Godspeed. But God is at work, and the Holy Spirit is wanting to break in upon his people. I pray, I pray the Holy Ghost will get a hold of you with a hunger that you can't even handle it. That you'll be so hungry for something from God that it'll consume you. That it'll cause you to have an insatiable thirst and hunger for him, for his word. Well, I don't know about all that stuff. Well, you know what? I pray also that the naysayers and the pessimists have their eyes open and their mouths shut by a move of God. I'm a candidate. I'm a candidate because God's at work. God is working. Jesus is working. The Holy Spirit is moving as he did over the creation. He's brooding over his body. The second thing you need to understand, not only is the Lord at work, but second, you must break business as usual and turn aside. 
here I go. My daily sheep herding trip to the backside of Sinai. What is that that I see? A burning bush in the distance. Boy, that's unusual. Day after day, I'm used to seeing these kinds of things in this climate and in this desert. I've seen thorny bushes catch on fire from the heat of the sun and burn up completely. There's something different about this one. It's burning, but it ain't burning up. Additionally, wait, what is that that I see? Oh, dear God, Jehovah, I see the angel of the Lord. Woo! Ascending. My God, out of the flame of that bush that's on fire. <laughs> so he sees not one, but two miracles take place. He sees a bush that's on fire, but doesn't burn up. And he sees the angel of the Lord. Well, I tell you, I could shuck some corn right there. Maybe I just should. Because anytime you see those words, angel of the Lord, nine times out of ten in the Old Testament, you'll find out that that was a pre-incarnate vision or representation of Jesus Christ, just as much as he was the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king said that fourth man looks like the Son of God. Several times in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord would appear, and he would show up, and many times he would show up in a flame of fire. And so Moses sees that. And watch what happens. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Verse 3, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. No getting the sheep to the lake. Not worried about getting them to pasture. The trough schedules is thrown out. I will turn aside now. Listen to your pastor this morning. One of the greatest enemies of your soul is procrastination. You want a move of God. You want more of God. But it just doesn't seem to be a convenient season. The devil will always make sure that there is never a convenient season. Why do today what you can put off for tomorrow? But Moses said, now. I will turn aside. You got to get this. When he was willing to break his 40-year routine, God responded to him. God spoke to him. Look at what verse 4 says. It says, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the midst of the bush. Hallelujah. He saw the perpetual fire. He saw the angel of the Lord, but not until he turned aside to face it did God speak to him out of the fire. This is revelation for some folks here. Can I tell you something? We Pentecostals know how to practice Pentecost. I've been in it all my life. 
I'm looking at people that have been in it all their life. And if we're not careful, we will begin to practice Pentecost instead of having a genuine move of God. And if we're not careful, we'll walk by the genuine fire and continue in our pretend fire. But God says, I'm looking for some people that will stop, will look, and will listen. I'm looking for some people that knows there's a perpetual and continuous move of God and they will break their routine. They're not worried about their schedules. They're not worried about their agendas. They're willing to stop in the middle of their tracks, turn 90 degrees, face the fire of God so I can speak to them and change them for eternity. It's time to get radical. God wants to shatter some some ideas about divine encounters. You may sit in a good service, but but if you're going to encounter God, you may have to break up some of that cracker juice mechanical routine you've been in. By the way, there's no such thing as cracker juice. For those of y'all who are wondering... Maybe it's time to get radical. Are y'all out there this morning? Maybe it's time to get radical. I'm turning aside, God. I see you're working. And I'm turning aside. For some, that means you're going to have to give up that hour of sleep. That may be what your stop, look, and listen is. Maybe it means you need to get up an hour earlier to seek God. Maybe for someone desperate for an encounter with God, you may have to push back the plate. For some of that mountain moving encounter you're looking for only comes through fasting and praying. For some, your turning aside may be seed sowing and giving more than you've ever given. It's part of your turning aside. For some, it may, it may be you're praying until you've prayed through. That's a new term. I know that I've got young Christians. I know that I've got new folks to the church. I know that I've got folks sitting across this place that don't have the Pentecostal background like many of us do. But you like what you feel. You like what you experience. You don't know everything about it. But you'd rather be here feeling what you're feeling than to be in the deadest church in town. You don't understand it all. So what do you mean, preacher? When you say pray until you've prayed through. You keep on pressing in. You keep on saying, God, I want to know you more. God, I want more from you. If it takes me a few minutes longer. If it takes me memorizing and praying scriptures that I've never done before. I, I, want, to, I want to pray until I've prayed through. You're looking at a guy that, that was used to altar services that lasted for 30 minutes to an hour. I'm looking at some people that have been in services where nobody worried about the time or if you were going to beat the Baptist to the buffet. You were more interested in having an encounter with God. I'm, we've gotten comfortable. We've gotten comfortable. 
We've gotten lax. We don't pray until we've prayed through. We don't linger in the presence of Jehovah. And we're going to raise a generation that's going to believe in a microwavable God that is only at their beck and call to meet their demands. When God sees you're serious about an encounter with Him, when He sees you're willing to stop, look, and listen, He would change your life. You have to turn aside. You have to, you have to turn aside. The bush is on fire. You have to draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. He was a gentleman at your salvation. And he knocked then. And he certainly isn't going to kick down the door now to force a life-changing encounter upon you. I believe God wants to give people in this room visions, dreams, miracles, interruptions, gifts, transformations. Could it be that all he's waiting for you to do is to stop and turn aside and receive it. You have lost children counting on you to have an encounter with God. Oh, they're not going to say it to you. They're lost. They don't understand spiritual things, but you do. And you've begged God, and you've pleaded with God, and you've stood on the promises of God. And God says, I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to give in. I want you to stop and look and listen. I want you to turn aside because I am at work. And in a moment when you least expect it, the miracle will take place. Now Moses was ready. <laughs> he was ready because of the encounter. Forty years earlier, he had the same desire to see God's people liberated, but he hadn't had this kind of encounter, and he ended up killing an Egyptian. Moses tried to do in the flesh what could only be done in the spirit. God help me with my history and how proud I am of it. I am so thankful to be a believer in a Pentecostal movement. I make no apologies for it. I'm grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit. But may we not be tempted to finish in the flesh what was started in the Spirit. When you realize the Lord is at work, then you have to break business as usual and turn aside. And then finally, you lead others to the encounter. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, 
you know, if you've studied, there was ten plagues. He argued back and forth with Pharaoh. I've been guilty. If somebody asked me the question, where was Moses headed with the people? My first response is to the promised land. Not really. Not yet, anyway. If you read in Exodus 7, 16, this is what the Bible says. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. That's what it says. Now watch, this is, this is important. The people needed the same experience that Moses had. They needed an encounter with God before they would be ready to go to the promised land. There were enemy giants in Canaan and walled cities to be brought down. They needed an encounter with God. So what does Moses do? He took them to Mount Sinai. You can go and research it. But most, if not all, Bible scholars, the ones I've studied, believe that Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are synonymous. So if that's the case, then Moses took the people to the same mountain where he had had his encounter. Two to three million people. You can read about their encounter. In Exodus 19, verse 16 through 18, listen to what their encounter was. Out of that mountain, there was thunderings and lightnings, thick clouds, a voice of a trumpet exceedingly loud. The Lord descended upon it <laughs> in a fire. The whole mountain quaked greatly, and the people shrunk back from the encounter. And I believe that because they shrunk back, I believe that adversely contributed to their lack of readiness to go into the promised land later. They shrunk back. I don't want to shrink back. I want to stop, look, and then listen. I want, to, I want to stop and turn aside. What is God doing there? I came for my divine encounter today. I want to encounter God. I've asked the Lord for this date. I've asked the Lord if this, if this date is on his divine calendar so that I could have an encounter with him. 
Is this the date, Lord, that you have chosen to break in upon the Pulaski Church of God? Give me my encounter. Let me lead someone to a divine encounter. I'm ready to turn aside. I'm ready to stop, to look, and to listen. Moses had his encounter. What did God say to him? He said, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. In other words, separate yourself unto me. That preacher's lost his mind, yes, as long as it's been replaced with the mind of Christ. Anybody else ready for an encounter with God? Some of you got boots on. May take you an extra second or two. Be worth the trouble. If it'll give you an encounter with God. Separate yourself unto me. Now, this stuff's far-fetched. If you think I'm crazy, then you've already killed your moment anyway. But if this word has resonated with you, Band, praise team, get ready. But don't you come up here unless you got your shoes off. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm directed in the Spirit today. This is of the Holy Ghost. And, and you gotta, you're in the valley of decision right now, right this moment. Joel says there's multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is at hand. I, I wonder if there'd be... There'd be some folks that say, you know what? I'll lose my boots and my sandals and my shoes. I'll separate myself if there's a chance that today I can have an encounter with God. Are you ready? Are you ready in the house of the Lord? For an encounter with God. You say, I don't know about this preacher. Holy Ghost ain't hurt no one yet. Not a soul been hurt by the Holy Ghost. I tell you what, though, there's been many lives been transformed by the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody? It's been a while. Oh, Lord, there's nothing but lukewarm coals on the altar of your soul. But today, the fire of God's Spirit is wanting to burn bright. It's been a while since you felt the touch of God. <laughs> I want an encounter with God like Moses. 
I want to turn aside. I want to stop, look. And I want to listen. Come on, you're all over this house. Come on, separate yourself. Leave your shoes at your seat. Come with your hands raised and say, God, I'm going to do like Moses. This is, mm, oh, this is holy ground. This is holy ground. My Lord, my Lord. This is holy ground. I want an I want an encounter with God. I want an encounter with God. I don't understand everything about it. But I want an encounter. Come on, lift up your voices. Lift up your hands. Holy Spirit wants to break in on us today. Holy Spirit wants to break in on us today. It's been a long time, Lord. It's been a long time. I want to move God. I've got to have an encounter with God. <laughs>